Hey, I'm 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, the Matt McNeil Show. Brand new to you edition, Paul Metza is joining us for this full freaking hour. As a matter of fact, pardon me, Paul freaking Metza's here for an hour, okay? <laughs> Living legend of Minnesota music. Uh, just an absolute treat to talk with every time I've had him on. I've had you on a lot here because, yeah, just a, 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 a slacker year for you. Two books, uh, you know, <laughs> two books, a major show, uh, revisiting the Jack Ruby song on yeah. the 60th. My God, you've, you've done so many things this last year. It's just been amazing. Well, it's... Uh, um I love doing what I do. You know, that's yeah. that's that's the bottom line. And you you know, I uh, I run my own life, and uh, I you know, I have uh, slacker sensibilities like the rest of us out there. Yeah. Uh, but uh, most of the time, I'm getting things done, and uh, it's it makes it all worthwhile. Uh, you are. Uh, I, I want to make sure. Of course, you're down here right now. We're recording this live in studio, which is great to see you, my yeah. friend. Uh, you, of course, you, you take residence up in Duluth there. I want to start off with m- one of the most underrated holiday towns in this country, Duluth, Minnesota. It's cold. It's a little windy. But that town is just fun in Christmas time. Oh, yeah. And, you know, Bentleyville's the big uh, yeah. the big thing. Uh, in fact, I've got uh, uh, my nephew, Jason, who was uh, – you might have bumped into him. He was the state rep for 6B. Mm-hmm. He followed uh, – Tommy, the late great Tommy Brokovian, is bringing his two boys down. So Uncle Paul, Jay, uh, nephew Jason, and his two kids are going to go do Bentleyville here probably in the next handful of days. So the it it I, I think it's there's interesting because it, it's a town. My dad almost said it to me one time. The worst accident he never got into was in Duluth. He was at the top of the hill. It must have ice rained, and he just started going down. And physics started to kick in, and he yeah. realized I can't stop this car. Right. And I'm picking up speed. By the grace of God, no one hit any of the intersections right. at the same time. He went through, finally got to a point lower down on the hill where they'd cleared some of it and was able to put the brakes on. But, you know, it's kind of one of those places where winter there is so obnoxious and it can be bad. But at the same time, I think that that's the case. That Some of the best holiday cities are cities there where they say, this is what we are. We're going to go out and have a good time with this. Yeah. And you had to, uh, you've got to get used to driving. I, um... I found out the best way uh, in a snowstorm, you go east and west, not up and down. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> in fact, there's a, uh, when I, and I think I told you this, when the first year I lived there, I rented the first floor of Bob Dylan's childhood yes. home, uh, which did, did not anymore have a garage. So when I knew I was, I was there for about a year and I was going to start looking for a house. And, you know, first thing you want is the lake view. Second thing I needed was a yard with a fence for the dog. After a year without a garage, I said, screw the lake view. I need a garage. <laughs> <laughs> you, you do get your priorities set there because, yeah, it's, there, there's a practical – well, and that's, that's Minnesota. It's a practicality yeah. over existence. I um I like the downtown. I, I told you I've gone up there a bunch of times now. My daughter's going to UMB, yeah. and I've been up there a lot. I'm going to be back up there in January. I'm going to be up there probably in February, and it just it's it was shockingly cute how nice that town is. And there are people that there you know every town has some problems, and I'm not going to say the town doesn't have some problems. There's always grit. It always is there. But compared to how the town used to be, yeah, you know it's kind of one of those things where. It's, you know, it's like, you know, people get upset about Minneapolis. They say, oh, Minneapolis is bad. It's like, do you remember what Minneapolis was like in the 80s? It was dirty and gritty, and there was block after block of empty. There was empty parking lots everywhere. 
there there wasn't any reason to come down. Now you've got tons of people living down there. What do you mean it's worse? It's a lot better than it was. It just is. I think that you know, there's a lot of people that like to to be negative for negative sake. And I'm like, I look around. I'm like, gosh, this place is cute. I like it. I like it here. Well, you know, I moved into town in '78, and I've had a problem with people that saying, you know, uh, over the years before they redid Blocky, Black Blocky was is so dangerous. Not for, not for me. I mean, I I lived in uh, South, right by a. Uh, Great little street called Ridgewood Avenue behind uh, uh, Rudolph's Barbecue. Yeah. And uh, I stumbled down. I walked downtown, stumbled home. But you get down to Blocky and you had, like, the legendary uh, lineup down there off 7th. You had Moby Dick's. You had Brady's Bar. You know, and there was about four or five bars just in that block. But the thing was... Uh, you know, you you still had riffraff downtown, but you had bouncers standing outside each of those bars. So nobody uh, got together in groups and caused anybody's problem. They just kept moving the riffraff along. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, once you got inside the club, you were safe. Now, it's funny. My, the, my first big gig in downtown Minneapolis with the Cats Under the Stars we uh, uh, we played at Moby Dick's. They had just put in a new stage and a new lighting system. And I, uh, I remember the guy, uh, I think his name is Bobby Cold. He had, uh, it was just classic bar owner, bad perm, uh, <laughs> lapel down and just above, you know, open and just above the navel, uh, hairy chest with, with the necklace. And he's going... Uh, what is he's looking at our press because he's what is this re- reggae music? What is this reggae? I go, oh, it's reggae. We played some reggae, and uh, he goes, well, here's the stage. You could put all your lights around here. And I was, we had just gotten started. I go, Bobby, it's just no big deal. We just have one light. <laughs> but anyway, you know, and it was a few. If you love foosball, that was foosball. Ground zero in Minnesota. There are mm-hmm. one time was probably 30 or 40 foosball tables. Anyway, they painted it and cleaned it up and everything. And uh, I was in the, uh, the restroom uh, and uh, doing my thing and standing next to this old black guy. And there was in the restroom, nothing had changed, man. There was drugs changing hands. You'd see a flash of a knife or maybe a pistol, whatever. And this, uh, this old brother is looking at the wall and says to no one in particular, he says, well... He says, you can remodel the bar, he said, but you can't remodel the people. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and bless him that you did. I went to school down on East Lake, so I had Town Talk Diner and the Poodle oh, yeah. Club. You ever you have Poodle Club? You ever get over to the Poodle oh, Club? Oh, been to the Poodle Club. Oh, yeah, yeah, we used to play. We used to do yearly uh, uh, Halloween gigs at Oddfellas Hall. Yeah. We, we I would go. I was at Brown. Going the radio it school. It was right around the corner. Yeah, well, and they had the we had the one over on fifty five and fifty five and yeah. like, and then they had the the other building that they had opened up, and that was right across the street. And so, like in between classes, we'd run over and get that god awful biscuits and gravy and a beer, yeah. the little mini beers, and we'd have those and head back to class because that was Minneapolis. But I always loved Town Talk. Because that was like a restaurant that was designed not for customers because they had one booth that could fit maybe a half a human yeah. being. And then they had the four booths there. And everyone in there was this elderly Scandinavian South Minneapolis guy ordering walleye because it was one of the few places in town you could get fish with your eggs. Wow. And they all loved it. And they'd come in. There was just a flannel shop. Right. <laughs> so you'd go in there and do that. But I also remember down in Uptown when Uptown was gritty. And uh, that when the Walgreens used to be there, we used to go up on the roof of Walgreens because you could sneak up on the roof there and just hang up there all night long. It was a lot of fun up there. Well, I I I loved Lake Street too. When I when I moved to Minneapolis, uh, 
before I moved, uh, I lived in 77 for about six months at 24th and Bloomington. Yeah. And back then, the cafe right off uh, – uh, was on Lake right up Bloomington was Curly's Cafe. Yeah. At one of the best breakfasts, and they were open till about three in the morning. Mm-hmm. Now, on the other side, then when I moved over to Bridgewood, it was a beautiful for young, starving rock bands because you had Taco Tuesdays at the Rainbow, which was a wonderful restaurant. Yes. Wednesday nights, you went to Liquor Lyles, and you got the big block of government cheese and free chicken wings. And then on Thursday, if you had a few bucks, you had half price oysters on the half shell at the Green Mill. Oh, God. You got, or, you know, one that we did all the time, Dollar Dog Days at the Old Dome. Oh yeah! You know, like if you were if you were really hungry, yeah, dollar dog. You just had to pay three dollars to go watch a bad Twins team, and, but then you get the hot dog, and you just, you actually could eat and get a show. It was like in the days before you know internet, we actually had entertainment like that. I, you know, it, there there was character there that is it, it kind of is lost, and and I think that you there's a tendency for people to to look at this and kind of like the bad side. It, it, when the problems in Minneapolis, when they existed, happened in the empty spots. Yeah, they didn't happen at Grumpy's. They didn't happen down on the south end of Lake Street or on, on Hennepin Avenue down there towards the Basilica. It didn't happen there. It happened in those parking lots or where the Coal Center is now on Six or on, across from Hennepin, where that was an empty lot. There was always so problems over there. Yeah, it's it's the the problem isn't the places. The problem was the empty places. Yeah. Well, I never felt afraid. Anywhere in Minneapolis, but I do have to because I drove by it yesterday. Uh, I, I always got a kick out of Mortimer's, and it. I was wondering if the sign is still there, and it is. And uh, so I drove by, and it says Mortimer's. It's an old big plastic sign. It was there in 1978. It says Mortimer's Bar and Restaurant. Now, when you go in, you go to try to order some food. You'd go. Well, where's the restaurant? They'd go across the street and they'd point at Rudolph's. <laughs> <laughs> you could occasionally get a hot dog there, but it was a restaurant. The one of the things I love about Minnesota in in winter is the you've seen the old pictures of like Hibbing in Virginia. Oh yeah, the Christmas. God, they used to put the stop the show on, didn't they? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, in in Virginia, I was just up there uh, last week playing at Flamers, and um, they still do a nice job. But yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, over the years, it was really uh, winter wonderland. Mm-hmm. And Duluth doesn't quite do it like it used to back when it was City of the North. You know, we'd come down from the range to go to the uh, uh, the Christmas parade, and it was like you know Duluth to an Iron Ranger was like Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. You know, that was the big city. In fact, my mom and dad met there. There's a great story. My dad's going to UMD Teachers College. My mom's going to St. Luke's Nursing School. Mm-hmm. And she's staying at the St. Luke's Women's Dormitory. Well, my dad was a bit of a dog with his buddies and just loved to chase women. In fact, they used to put their skates on and go from rink to rink to try to meet girls. And if they didn't see any girls at one rink, they'd keep their skates on, hop in their car, and drive to the next. <laughs> now, and this is, you got to remember, these all these cars had clutches back then. Yeah. And they're driving with their skates on. Anyway, he has the number of a woman he met. We'll say her name is Nancy, who's a St. Luke's nursing student. She's living uh, at the women's dormitory. 
Uh, my dad, elder, calls uh, up and says, hey, is Nancy there? My mom, Bess, happened to be, uh, whose name was Bess Paul. Her maiden name was, is my first name. So um, she happened to work in the phones that night. So he goes, yeah, is Nancy there? And she goes, no, she's out for the night. And he goes, what's your name? She goes, Bess. He goes, what time do you get off work? He goes, nine, nine o'clock. She goes, nine o'clock. My dad says, can I buy you a beer at the Casa de Roma after your shift? She said, yeah. That's how my mom and dad met on kind of a blind date. Uh, by the way, this is a lesson for all you modern guys out there. Stop sending pictures to DMs, okay? <laughs> Just talk to people. Talk to people, for goodness sake. How badly did they carve up the clutch with this case? <laughs> well, back then, there was my dad said there used to be five or six rinks that they would hit in a night. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, God, I can only imagine. <laughs> it was their car or their dad's car? <laughs> it was uh, the uh, his Best buddy's dad was a doctor from Cook, Minnesota, so I believe it was, his name was Bud Heim. It was probably Bud's dad's car. Oh, God. Okay, that's brilliant. And then my dad also used to, in college, he was always kind of an entrepreneur, and he used to sell silverware and knives. And he would go over to Superior where there was more than uh, one lady of the night, and he would go to these different places where those women plied their trade, and they would always go, well, Elder, maybe we can we, maybe we could do a trade here for some of that, that nice cutlery. <laughs> and according to my dad, he said, no, you've got to pay for this stuff. <laughs> I, I, I said to my dad, because we, we have a sauna up at our cabin, and so it's, it's actually my great, great aunt's dollhouse that they had in the yard. Oh, beautiful. And then they moved it out to the cabin and they basically sealed it off and put a, a furnace in there. And so it's a wood-burning sauna that we Be have up there. Beautiful. It's fantastic. And uh, the, you know, so I was like, when I was in Duluth and I'd see saunas and I'd say, hey, dad, saunas, like, no, no, no. Dad's like, no, 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 not these saunas. Maybe when you're in college, son, you know, <laughs> like, you just, that's, that's not the case. The only one that was a little more legit was Bawabic with yeah. the sauna bar. They had that one over there. That which, was legit. Uh, but I know which sauna, it was the fa the family sauna uh, on, I believe it was, what, about second, right off a of, uh, block and a half off Superior Street. But I remember, I, I, I knew a buddy of mine who's got a business. He owns a bar in um, in Duluth, and uh, he said, yeah, he goes, uh, Dad would pick us up after our hockey games after school. He'd run to the sauna, and he'd keep the car running so we could stay warm. Because he'd run in for about 20 minutes and came back out with a smile on his face. We had no idea what he was up to. <laughs> <laughs> so we went on one of the, still one of the greatest moments ever on the Christmas. was Christmas Eve. We're, at, uh, we're over at Squagma. And so it's we're kind of by Gilbert and Bawabic. And we say, well, we want to go into town, but we didn't want to drive. It was like minus 20. Right. It was cold. Well, my brother says, well, there's a thing called the Bawabic bus. <laughs> and so we could call the bar sauna and have the Bawabic bus come on out. So the bus That's comes up. That's primo iron range, dude. It, it just comes on out. Beer bottles rolling all over the floor <laughs> of this bus back and forth as it takes us out to Bawabic. We're there for about two hours. And by the way, I've got it. You know, I know what it takes to be the, the, the band playing Bawabic's Bar Sauna on a Christmas Eve. <laughs> Not the tightest band I've ever seen in my life. Although I played Bawabic on New Year's Eve, but it was a little nicer. Club. Well, it was New Year's there. So we're, we're there. We're saying, where's my brother? Where's my brother at? He comes out. He's sweating. <laughs> he's went in the sauna, fully clothed, because there was a there's a girl in there. I was talking like, okay, you were trying to pick up a girl on Christmas Eve in the bar, in the sauna, in the Biwabic bar sauna, <laughs> fully clothed. Get the bus. We're going. Back. We're going back to that. We're, we're done. Yeah, he was he was soaked. I said, do you realize this is how people die up here? You well, know? you know, I played in. 
uh, Ely, Minnesota, at a place called the Yugoslav National Home. It was a cool mm-hmm. private club, cost $2 a year to join. And it was the year that it broke the record for cold. It was 60 below without a windshield. And... Um, I was introduced to a drink up there called Polinkovitz, which was a cross between Jägermeister and Turpentine. Uh, but it, it steeled <laughs> us because the people didn't leave till about 2 or 3 in the morning. I mean, they were literally, the uh, television stations from Duluth came up, and they were pounding frozen bananas through 2 by 4s But there was an old Finlander in Embarrass. And when, you know, over the years on the Today Show, the icebox of the nation Usually, oh, what, yeah. most of the time, was embarrassment. And it was this guy, this old Finlander, that, that manned the, the thermometer. That year, uh, Tower beat Embarrass by a degree or two. So it, it was, and that poor Finlander went to his grave bitching about the fact it was the TV cameras that heated up the thermometer in Embarrass. <laughs> <laughs> oh god that's so Minnesota it's like pounding pounding bananas through two by fours ladies and gentlemen it's a family show All right. uh, speaking of which Christmas you've got your great Christmas on Christmas uh, at Molly's uh, talk a little bit about that uh, 1990 I got a phone call from Southdale they were celebrating the 25th anniversary of the Southdale Mall first open air mall in America yeah. And they were putting together a song of original Christmas music by Minnesota artists, and they had somebody drop out. They called me on a Tuesday afternoon. They needed by Wednesday at 5. And so they're talking to me, and I'm going, Southdale. I said, I'm Woody Guthrie. Why were you calling me? But before the phone call ended, I said, well, by the way, what does it pay? And they go, $2,500. I said, I think I have one around here somewhere. Oh, those are Dinah people. Oh, they're fantastic. <laughs> so I actually I have, you know, I have a list of song ideas on envelopes, electrical bills, more than more than a, a dozen or two uh, whiskey stained bar napkins. And about a, two years before, I was at Molly's Bar in Superior on Christmas, and I had written down, because it was a kind of an absurd night, Christmas at Molly's. I was two good friends of mine, both passed away, John Hall and Dick Blinn. So I got uh, grabbed my guitar, started working on it, and the next thing I knew, by about 10 a.m. the next morning, I had a 12-verse song that was really kind of explained the spirit of Christmas called Christmas at Molly's. Now, the thing about Molly's Bar, which was interesting, I used to go up there after I played in Duluth because Superior was always open an hour yeah. later. The bars, and I tell people when I was on KUMD up there, meet us at Molly's after the bar because Molly was this lovely. She was, God, 80 years old at the time, but she was like this gypsy woman, and, and she would sit at the end of the bar and dispense like this gypsy wisdom, and you could buy her a very expensive shot of brandy. Expensive and superior was about three fifty or four dollars. Right. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> but it was one of the first gay bars yeah. in the Twin Ports. Now it was kind of uh, you know hush hush at the time. So finally, somebody said, "Well, you know, most people up here consider it a gay bar." Of course, by not not that that mattered to me at all. Of course, by then it had been you know any anybody that wanted to go there could go. But uh, so I uh, but you walk back. It was like walking back in time. They had a beautiful like Barnum and Bailey's metal circus advertisement they used to put on buildings and and, uh, the old tin ceiling. And uh, it was just a great way. uh, The song kind of wrote itself. Turned out to be one of my most beloved songs. Everybody requested it at Christmas. And also 
one of my uh, one of my claims to fame was it ended up at the jukebox at Molly's and was played constantly over the Christmas season. Uh, Brett, if you wouldn't mind, let's play that right now. Christmas at Molly's, Paul Metza, right here on AM 950. December is a stranger I walk Like I just lost the keys to the city As a sailor I've sent postcards round the world But the picture tonight wasn't pretty I walked in the shadows of haunted hotels Like a miner trapped in a cavern Well I looked to the east and a star had shone down And it led me right to Molly's Tavern so I follow the footprints made in the snow By Salvation Army musicians I got in line and I stood right behind A tap dancer and two blind magicians You would have thought I had been there before As Molly stood there to greet me Eighty years old with a gleam in her eye Said you're expected and proceeded to see me Come on, you low-down rounders Lift up, you low-down ways Pass the malt and the mistletoe It's almost Christmas Day I walked around in the heart player asked if I would like to request a selection. I smiled and I asked for God bless the child, and for him I took up a collection. I spotted a man with a white beard and red, from a distance looked just like Chris Kringle. As he went to the roof, oh, I thought I heard hoofs, and I swear I heard sleigh bells a jingle. We waltzed on a dance floor made out of glass Between dances we sang Christmas carols Then we lit candles, had a moment of silence The bartender at F. Scott Fitzgerald Molly said first we must give to receive We put our trinkets into a kitty In went my compass and my grandfather's watch And I pulled out the key to the city Come on, you low-down rounders Lift up your low-down ways Pass the malt and the mistletoe It's almost Christmas So I guess if there's a lesson I've learned It is one that will keep me from danger Sometimes you get lost just so you will be found And return the kindness to strangers I explained how I felt as I kissed Molly's hand Like a miner freed from a cavern Merry Christmas, baby, is what she said to me But it's like this each night in my tavern So I sail on the oceans and stare at the sky And it seems like the whole world's on fire And I just want to make angel wings in the snow And sing this song in that midnight choir Come on, you low-down rounders 
Christmas time at Molly's. Paul Metzel will take a break. Come on back. It is the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. It's almost Christmas Day. It's almost Christmas Day. It's almost Christmas Day. It's the Matt McNeil Show. Brand new to you content, Paul Metza joining us for the full hour. By the way, you just heard Christmas and Molly's from Paul Metza, and that song sponsored by Southdale. Thanks, Southdale. <laughs> we really appreciate it. <laughs> That's a fantastic song, man. Thank you. Yeah, it works out really well. And, uh, uh, it, 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 you know, the best songs really write themselves, and mm-hmm. that one truly did. Uh, yeah, although I spent, you know, most of the uh, end of the night to do it, it it came naturally. What the one thing I'm very proud of uh, of that song. Several things I'm proud of. Number one, to to honor Molly. In fact, there's a great video we did for it that people can find on YouTube. It's Christmas at Molly's. Paul Metza, and we have, we found some really nice uh, vintage photos of Superior, Wisconsin, and of Molly. You know, Molly lived to be 99 years old. She was uh, born on Valentine's Day. Her sister, who I always wanted to meet. Uh, they're very close in age, was a jazz singer. She went out to New York City and she got involved with the mob. Uh-huh. So she worked all the time, <laughs> you know. <laughs> she worked all the time. But uh, uh, in mob, you know, run clubs. But uh, uh, but David Carr, the great, uh, you know, I'm, I remember meeting David Carr when he uh, was writing for the Twin Cities Reader and the City Pages. And um, he'd written a great series of articles in the Minneapolis Star Tribune about a woman who was uh, executed by a gang. They found her uh, in that, that park kind of right by uh, uh, kind of 42nd right off Nicollet. And it was a really intriguing uh, article, one that you just wanted to, you waited for the next week's installment. And I was sitting at McCready's Bar one night where I ended up playing uh, with my buddy Tom Arnold. And so Tom uh, said, hey, I'd like to meet my, uh, meet my friend David. So I went over and said, yeah, David. I said, what are you doing? He goes, I'm a writer. I said, what's your last name? He goes, Carr. I said, you are David freaking Carr. And I was so in love with his writing and continued to, uh, you know, read him for whatever publication he was writing for. And then he ended up, uh, the last 10 years of his life, writing the media column for the New York Times. In fact... And he passed away in the New York Times newsroom after doing an event at the 92nd Street uh, Y. But the publisher of the New York Times said at his uh, memorial service in New York City that he considered David one of the greatest writers the New York Times had ever mm-hmm. employed. And uh, which, number one, didn't surprise me. But number two, I was honored to have David Carr write the foreword to my book, Blue Guitar Highway. And in that foreword, I uh, wrote great eight pages. I was in tears reading it when we finally got it back. But he said of all the Metsa songs that he's heard, and he heard almost all of them, Christmas at Molly's was his favorite. Yeah. 
it's, it is a fantastic song and it is a great holiday song too. It just is, it, it, there's a lot of meaning, there's a lot of depth, but I think that that's make, what makes great Christmas songs. Yeah. Is it's, it's more than just, it, it is kind of a little bit more than that. You came on the show early this year to talk about uh, your last book, Blood in the Tracks. Yeah. And then talking about the recording of that album and, and the, the fights that kind of, the, the, to kind of get that album out. So, and you are a, as you said, you lived in Dylan's house. Yeah. You are a Dylan expert. I mean, really, you could be you know one of those people that puts on those 90 Second Street Y and puts you yeah. on, the, on the the panel up there to talk about Dylan. Well, you I know. love, I love, uh, Dylan's a passion of mine. Like some people love baseball. Oh, yeah. Right. Like I got guy, friends of mine that, that are into baseball and they could tell you what uh, Joe DiMaggio hit 19... 19- 52, yeah. you know. Yeah, it's, I'm guilty as charged on baseball, by the way. Yeah. I, I'm one of those nerds and and stuff like that. I, there are there are going to be a biopic about him coming on out with Timothy Chalamet, and I love this. Uh, how much Timothy Chalamet have you seen? you have any idea who he is? Zip. Okay. <laughs> He's a great choice. Uh, okay, so here's the two things I'll say that are positive about Timothy Chalamet in this. One, he actually is a pretty good actor. Right. You know, he actually is. If you do see some of his stuff, he he's a young guy, but he actually can act. And the second thing is this. It's like... Okay, if if Taylor Swift decided to do a bunch of Dylan songs, right. it might basically drive most Dylan fans crazy. Right. But you're about to see Dylan's popularity within this younger set sure. grow. I'm off. Timothy that. Chalamet is going to bring a brand new generation into Dylan's legacy, mm-hmm. and as it should be. I mean, yeah. this is a this is a writer who, just like we talk about Chopin, Beethoven. 300 years from now, we should be talking about Dylan's Yeah, style. And so I think that's a, a really good thing that he's going to do. One of the things I want to read this to you that he said, in a recent interview, uh, Timothy Chalamet revealed that Bob Dylan's manager, Jeff Rawson, shared with him a 12-hour playlist of unreleased Dylan tracks from 59 to 64. Wow. So, you know... Someone made the point. He said, "Well, if you really have the the Dylan aficionados, they probably already have cuts of yeah. these here, like this." But you know, talk a little bit about that because you know, there is this is something we've seen with Prince, we've seen with other people. I mean, the Beatles just released another song. You have a lot there. How much? You know, first of all, talk about the the treasure trove there because I mean, great writers just produce massive amounts. But as well, shouldn't there be? Uh, you know, once once an artist has passed away. Shouldn't there be a recognition that, well, he didn't want this to really be released necessarily? Right. So should we, shouldn't we honor that? Well, the thing about Dylan, the contradiction with Dylan is he's left some of his best songs off records. Mm-hmm. You know, like I remember uh, the Blind Willie McTell, which is one of his greatest songs, uh, was recorded during the Infidel Sessions with Mark Knopfler. And if you ever hear any versions of just he and Mark, uh, Bob's playing piano, Mark's playing guitar, they're phenomenal. It ended up in the Biograph, the five uh, LP box set, which I got now. You 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 can get it in CDs now, but it came out in 85. And we heard this song. We go, why the hell didn't this song end up on, uh, on Infidels? Also... There's a great song called Up To Me that he recorded when he did the New York recordings for Blood on the Tracks. Another great song that ended up, of course, uh, on one of the bootleg series that came out. So he's not necessarily the judge of his greatest songs. But uh, I think, you know, he's... I've got a, a list somewhere of just the cover songs he's recorded live or in studio or just in demos. And it's like 
800 songs, mm-hmm. right? Folk, blues, and jazz, which is the one thing I love about Bob Dylan. He is a real student of music. Mm-hmm. I mean, he knows his stuff. And um, uh, I don't know. I'm, you know, I'm curious enough where I'll listen to just about anything, you know. Mm-hmm. But, uh, uh, but I see your point, but... I'd love to hear what Timothy, what Rose and let Timothy hear, truthfully. <laughs> well, I don't know. Maybe the, the Chalamet release. Who knows like that? I, you know, I, I agree with you when you talk about great, the greatest artist. It's surprising. I mean, Neil Peart, the great drummer from Rush. Yeah. If you watch their biography, he goes and talks about how in the mid-1990s, okay, well-established as probably the, one of the greatest rock drummers of all time. Yeah. He went to jazz school. And he learned how to play drums like a jazz player would. Yeah. Because and the, and he and he talks with his jazz instructor and he says there's a difference between ding 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 and ding 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 ding. Oh, yeah. yeah. And and here is one of the greatest musicians of uh, drummers of all time being able to say that, and, and that I I needed to go back and learn something at a much later point in life. I think the greatest musicians, hands down, are the ones that never stop. And they just, there is that love of music. They never feel like they plateau out. They never feel like they've reached the top. And they're always, like you said, I'm going to go into do jazz or I'm going to do reggae or I'm going to bring in some of these other things that that experiment with this and really understand the music and how what makes that music individual. And and Dylan, of course, fits, you know, checks all those boxes. Well, and, you know, Infidels, uh, a record that I've, you know, always loved uh, and had a Sly and Robbie you know, the rhythm section from Jamaica on it. You know, mm-hmm. the greatest bass player and drummer in reggae were the rhythm section for Infidels, wow. which, which I always love. Me personally, when I, I, I found a list of, I was in my grandfather when he was, his last few days, I was in his uh, uh, hospital room on the north side of Virginia, kitty corner from the Lenant Clinic. Mm-hmm. And uh I put a list of the styles of music because I knew I was moving to Minneapolis that I wanted to stutter, study guitar-wise. And it was everything from free jazz, uh, acoustic blues, acoustic ragtime, electric space music, ECM guitar players, bebop jazz, um, uh, bluegrass, flat picking. You know, I mean, I had a list. And when I moved to Minneapolis, I was taking... I was studying with Tim Sparks from Rio Nido. I was taking lessons at the West Bank School of Music. When guitar players would come in and play the artist quarter, I would try to get a hold of them ahead of time, and I would meet them at their hotel rooms and pay them. Uh, and I'd bring my little cassette recorder and take lessons. And I look back on that list, uh, list and also when I hear some my playing, let's say, in 84 and 85, I go, oh, my God, I need to get an app on my phone now that said, Find your own lick. Find, you know, <laughs> just rediscover where your lick, your your hot licks went to, <laughs> because I was playing. I was playing. You know, five, four or five nights a week, but I was playing four or five hours a day. And over the years, it becomes kind of a job. You, I don't want to say loses its luster, but there's things you want to do besides play guitar. But now I'm looking back at it and go, I just found that list the other day, and I go, okay, Paul, it's time to get back on the horse and start practicing again. Did you ever? I mean, I mean, okay, we, we all have a sick day. We all like this. Where I, I mean, I love doing what I do, and I'm, there are some days I'm like, I don't want to go do this because yeah. I'm not feeling that well or stuff like this. Did you ever get tired of playing, picking, picking up a guitar and playing it? I mean, because I think the great players like yourself. 
there's always it's your it's your long companion. It's your friend. This microphone's my friend. Yeah, you know, they, they, you 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 find your friend, and that's that. It's your happy place. And sure, you might have times where you might not be as well with it, or might be playing another thing, but you always revisit it. Well, Brownie McGee, who's a big hero of mine, who I learned a lot from the great uh, acoustic uh, blues cat played the Piedmont style along with Sonny Terry, the harmonica player. Um, he always used to say, my guitar is my weapon against the world. Mm-hmm. And the thing about the guitar is there's so many different types of guitar playing. There's classical guitar, nylon string. There's flamenco mm-hmm. nylon string. There's electric bebop. There's acoustic jazz. There's... 12 string. There's Leo Kotke, John Fahey, Peter Lang, Americana uh, fingerstyle guitar playing. And you could go on and on. There's so many, you know, then you get into the really experimental stuff with like uh, um, Derek Bailey and, and people like that. And then you get, you can go to the, you can go to Randy Rhodes or, or, uh, uh, you know, uh, Vernon Reed in, in Living Color. There's, so occasionally the guitar, which is my lifelong friend, in fact, when I buy a new guitar, especially for some reason Telecasters, when I buy them, I put them in the corner of my bedroom so when I wake up in the morning, I can look at it. Because for me, the Telecaster, it's like the perfect woman. And like Keith Richards said, he's, he's sleep with his guitars because mm-hmm. they're, they're like, uh, you know, a female body. But the thing about the guitar is, you know, when it's looking back at you, it's saying... You're never going to master me. Oh. You know, you can love me and you can work with me, but you're never going to be able to play everything that every everybody else can learn in a variety of styles. So it's always a work in progress. Uh, but it's it, but that's the beautiful thing. It's mm-hmm. a lifelong journey. You know you're not, never going to... Uh, uh, completely master all styles. So you just want to get as good as you can to be able to express what you're feeling at that time. And I think on a good night, I'm able to do that. If my microphone could talk, <laughs> I think it'd be like sighing exasperately. Yeah. You know, okay, fine. We'll give it another chance. <laughs> it's like, all right. Give it another go college team. Try here. But go I got I to gotta say though, man, I'm really happy about your Chicago show. Yeah. Uh, I listen to, you know, I've listened to radio my whole life as well. Um, and uh, you have a real certain uh, joy de verve in a, in a sense of excitement that you don't get on a lot of, uh, a lot of other radio hosts. Thank you. And, um, uh, and so you've got to, it's your thing, man, and you do it really well. I love listening to you, and I, I stream you when I'm up in Duluth. I listen to you in the car when I'm down here, and there's just you, you know who I miss. Um, did you were you, are you old enough to remember Franklin Hobbs on the old CCO? Um, my great uncle was Cedric Adams, so yeah, yeah there I, right. know, I, I know I know a lot of the classics. Yeah, and then uh, uh, and who who God why am I forgetting the great name Lake Hammon mm-hmm. on the Jazz Image. Uh, I learned a lot of what I do on my radio show, and we'll be celebrating 10 years of the Wall of Power Radio Hour, thanks to uh, the, the fine folks, Chad and the fine folks here at AM950, is listening to great radio, like uh, the great, uh, who is uh, now George Norrie's doing, but Art Bell. Yeah. I loved Art Bell. There's something about the magic of radio that, uh, that I've always enjoyed. You are 
Thank you. First of all, thank you. That's very appreciated. And by the way, the Wall of Power Radio Hour, Saturday nights at 6 p.m. right here on AM 950. Um, you're a freaking treasure. You're an absolute treasure. Um, it's you're 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 important. And, and I'll say it like that: you're important. Thank you. And that's and that, that is something. I'd have several ex-girlfriends that would disagree with that, but keep going. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a list out the door, my friend. Uh, I encourage you if you're in Duluth. You're at Wednesdays, you're playing Blackwater. Blackwater Lounge, and I, two thirty one East Superior Street, right down the street from the North Shore Theater. Mm-hmm. That's eight, uh, six to eight o'clock on Wednesdays. Yeah, no cover, and it's. Uh, Really, it's one of the classiest joints in Duluth. I'm. I had played there when we, when uh, Sonny Earl and I would play the uh, Blues Fest, and I played the very first one. And now they're like thirty fourth annual. Uh, we would always, for the last twelve or thirteen years, play there afterwards at night on Friday and Saturday nights. So I developed a really nice relationship with them, and then uh, all about. Last uh, last May, they got a hold of me and said, would you be interested in doing a, a Wednesday night? And I said, absolutely. It's less than 10 minutes from my house. <laughs> it's great, uh, great food, great cocktails. The PA is there for any working musicians out there. You know, you don't have to hump your gear every week mm-hmm. in and out. And uh, the clientele is great. Paul Metza. Paul, always one of my favorite hours every holiday. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Paul Metza, once again, Wall of Power Radio Hour as well, 6 p.m. Saturday nights. And like I said, he's important. You need to be listening to him. Go buy his music. Go buy his books. We'll take a break. Wrap up the show when we do return. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950.